welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. Today we're bringing you some awesome content from BBVA's Open Summit. Uh, tune in for an interview with Derek White, who uh, just is absolutely on fire, um, and a great panel about platform business models with Juho Makinen from ShareTribe and Ian Omerod from BBVA. First up, I spoke to Derek White about what is Open Summit. I'm here with Derek White. Derek White. I'm here with Simon Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) I feel good about this. I'm really excited to see you. It's been a long time since we caught up. Um, We're at the Open Summit. um, We are. And your Open Talent Summit uh, 2018. Tell us a little bit about what this is, who's it for, what's happening today. The primary reason of our having Open Summit is to connect the the ecosystems uh, that we operate in around the world. Startups with disruptors and corporates to connect and create together. But the, the real highlight of it is we're, is we're cel- celebrating the uh, largest fintech uh, competition in the world, which is BBVA's Open Talent. And we will be awarding the three awards today and the ultimate award for the best startup, the most disruptive startup. And you've had some pretty impressive companies win that in the past. Have. You've gone on to do interesting things. So really, you've got, I think, an interesting balance there. You're in how many countries? Um, Over 30 countries around the world. And you've got corporates, large corporates, we small do. businesses. You've got retail customers. And you've got these startups that want access to them. So how are you facilitating these startups getting access to those companies? What does that look like once they've won this competition? How do you make their dreams come true? So there's several ways that we do it. One is we have an immersion week where we literally unlock the human capital and the people within the organization that are the decision makers on how we create the future. We do an enormous amount of work inside the company to identify what our pain points are, what our problems are, whether we can create ourselves versus whether we should look outside Mm -hmm. and constantly looking outside. And then we unlock the people and the decision makers and we have an immersion week. And so we bring the startups in and we, we immerse them literally in every potential use case, POC, you know, uh, we've done this before in the past, yeah. and, and, and how we unlock the organization to be able to do that. That's one way we do it. But equally, recently, we've just announced the digital version of that, where we are publicly disclosing in marketplace, our marketplace, our open marketplace, where we see opportunities that startups can help us. We provide areas of focus where we want to unlock the startup ecosystem to work with So us. you're almost saying, here's our pain. Exactly. Come, come do something about this pain because exactly. we've not solved for this over here and yes. we want to see if the market can do yes. it and we want to partner with you. Yes. And so how long has that been running and, and how long has that been It's going? just been up for a couple of weeks. Wow. And that's really just a, a marketplace of matching and we're working on refining that matching algorithm. Yeah, so we identify what are the problems, what is the information that we as a company can disclose what information do we want the startups to provide to us? And then how the, the magic really comes in that matching algorithm as to how you bring them together to solve problems and co-create. I think it's interesting as an outreach as well, because you guys have done a lot on the in, uh, internal side. We talked before about your 369 piece, yeah. which is yeah, yeah. You know, like getting propositions to market. Remind our listeners, what's 369? 369 is a methodology that we use to create everything within BBVA. And it's founded on the principle of it in, in big companies, it takes too long to get an idea out of someone's head into what we say in Spanish, en las manos de los clientes. Or if you ask anybody in the company, in the hands of the customer. That's How it. do you get things in the hands of the customer? That's and the magic of that, that's exactly right. And the way we've seen to accelerate that is this 369 model. Three days to form the human capital team mm-hmm. that is needed in order to bring it together. And it has to inc- include a business person, a technologist, and then the experience team. The experience team is a combination of design and data. That's the triangle, what we call the holy it. That's the three. And then that team, 
once they're formed within three days, because if it's a priority, it should be able to get the team within three days. Then that team is given six weeks. Now, in startup world, you might give them six hours to do a low fidelity prototype. We give the team six weeks because we're operating hundreds of projects across the group at scale with over 8,000 people in Agile in the company and 33,000 by the end of the year operating in Agile creation models. Because I hear a lot of people rolling out Agile training, but Agile creation models. Talk to me why you think it's different to like just having a scrum for ransom engineering. This is the business people, this is the designers. This is everybody. And, this and is risk wanting. people. This is risk people embedded in a scrum to co-create with you, not gateways, waterfall, traditional methodology. Because you're doing a scrum and then taking it to a gateway is not agile, that's baking not at all. them into that's the team. That's not at all. Mm -hmm. But it's bringing them into the creation process. And you know, I instead of calling them control teams, control functions, calling them shapers, yeah. and calling them co-creators is a total difference. Because we give them three days to create the team, six weeks to do a prototype, the pro prototype what's the, shows what the end user does. And then when the risk team, the compliance team, sees what the end user, what we want the end user to do, you then give the team nine months to, to get it in the hands of the customer. I think that's a really simple mental model and one that we could uh, kind of gravitate around. And then the last thing that interests me is how you guys have talked about prioritization. Like that raw focus on these are the things that are important to us as an organization. Absolutely. Has that been key to enabling the, uh, the kind of working with the externals and the internals? Because you and I have worked in the past and prioritization can be a challenge in some places. It can be, it absolutely. The metric that we use is all of this compounds into what we call quarterly plannings. So every quarter, we prioritize across every business what their top priorities are. Mm -hmm. And the teams that are working on that break it down into what you described separately as microservices yep. or projects, micro projects that need to be completed. And on average, on a quarterly basis, we're at 80 to 85% of what we say we want to do in a quarter, we're completing it by the end of the quarter. So wow. it's very measurable, it's very tangible. But honestly, Simon, the most powerful, the most powerful thing and that we're excited about now is that BBVA is an ecosystem of human capital, of people that are co-creating around people, money, and their life problems. The, the boundaries of the organization are starting to blow it's with your totally customers. It's totally blurred because we now have global platforms to where designers can share design across Mexico, across uh, wow. Peru, across, uh, across Spain, uh, and the United States. And that's across all our layers of technology now. So data, data algorithms, design, uh, it can all be common. In the Spotify model, that would be a guild. You've exactly. got all these people that are sharing that exactly. knowledge from different regions. Nobody in banking is doing it. And we've recently launched the first global mobile application to where there's shared code, shared uh, components across markets, which in startup world would be, no. it's an ecosystem play. Yeah. It's an ecosystem of our internal human capital unlocked to co-create. There's an um, interesting thing about uh, that you said this morning when you were on stage. You said, um, how do we get to the self-driving bank account? Yeah. Forget about the self-driving car. And you guys talk about how much of the interactions that uh, can possibly be digital can be DIY. Yeah. Talk us through what that means. I found that some really interesting language. Yeah, it's driven out of insights from the ecosystems from the US to China and Europe being very different ecosystems, but really comes down to sitting with our clients, our corporate clients. Mm -hmm and recognizing, listening to them, and them coming to us asking us how we're evolving mm -hmm. into a more digital company. We've stated we want to go from a bank to a digital bank, a digital bank to a digital company. In order to do that, there's three key steps that apply in banking, but it's across every industry. And that is first, 
100% DIY. That you, Simon, should be able to do absolutely everything you want to be able to do everything yep. on a mobile device. 100% DIYable. The second is once it's DIYable, because first off, most companies don't measure that. No. The second I think is if you can measure it, you can manage it, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Then once it's once you have DIY, then you and their digital interactions, you can make them smart. You leverage the power of data. The problem is too many people are talking about big data and the concept of big data, and they get stuck in architectural discussions rather than focusing on how that data is applicable for the end user per interaction, yep. at an interaction level. They're not thinking about what's contextual to that human. That's what right. does that human need right now, exactly. and therefore what data do I need for that? Because I exactly. might not need to go build the most amazing data architecture in history. I might need this thing. But if that's existing in a piece of paper or in a human's head, then I can't serve that and I can't provide that context based on that device's location and yep. the thing that you did last week and yep. all of that stuff. It's super interesting. So what are you looking forward to as you look into the next two, three years? What should we expect from BBVA? What's kind of exciting you at the moment? The, probably the most exciting thing is increasingly global organization that's a digital company that's creating uh, amazing product and that honestly this concept of autonomy of helping people make decisions and identifying what of those decisions can be can be made with them and leveraging all of their experiences to help them make those decisions. The interesting thing to me about the big uh, tech giants is they were true platform companies. The edges of their organizations had had blurred and they made the most of data. What it sounds to me like is you guys are on the precipice of really getting to that point and I'm going to be interested to follow this journey. Derek White, thank you so much for being on Fintech Insight. Thanks, man. Great to see you. Good to see you. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you to having a wonderful audience. Uh, as Lisa said... There's a lot of things that happen with data once they get inside a platform. Uh, understanding the dynamics of these marketplaces and these platforms and how they interact with consumers and businesses is what we're here to talk about today. And I'm really, really fortunate to have two esteemed guests to talk <laughs> through with me. Um, first up is uh, Juho Makinen, uh, who is from ShareTribe. Juho, do you want to briefly introduce who you are and who's ShareTribe? Yeah, sure. So I'm the CEO of, of a startup company called ShareTribe. We come from Finland. Uh, so essentially, we help entrepreneurs and organizations to create their own 
online marketplaces, sharing economy platforms. So if you want to build something a bit like Airbnb and Uber, like we can build the technology powering that. So essentially our mission is to democratize the platform economy a bit by basically making this platform technology accessible to everybody. Build so. your own local platforms. Build your own Airbnb. I like the sound of it. Um, and of course, um, we're not alone. We're joined by Ian Omerod from the uh, new business, uh, new digital businesses area of BBVA. Ian, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. And thank you so much for being with us. So I guess um, before we really kick into what platforms mean for the economy, what platforms mean for finance, I want to understand what is a platform in your mind? And, and I don't know if you, you want to uh, take us out. How do you define what is a platform? What is a marketplace? Because these words get thrown around and they start to lose all meaning. So what is it? Yeah, so uh, obviously like, I think different people define them in different ways. The way I define it is the platform is something where essentially uh, like the owner of the platform doesn't actually like create the like products or services themselves, but instead they just invite a large number of users who actually create the value and then like to facilitate the connections between them. And if you think of a marketplace, I think that's kind of like a transactional platform. There's a producer who creates some value and then like a consumer who kind of like purchased that value through the platform. Uh, so that, that's the, that's a marketplace. There are two types of, of kind of like, or obviously sometimes more types of users. And sometimes you get the same thing together. So you get the two-sided marketplace where Facebook is giving you social networking for free, but selling you to advertisers. And how do you think about it from a banking perspective? We've seen these big technology platforms come in to the market and really revolutionize how consumers deal with technology, how consumers talk to each other day to day. How do you reflect on that from a BBVA perspective? What can we learn from those platform businesses? I think if, if you look, you know, traditionally a banking model is, has relied on low frequency, high value interactions. Um, the marketplace model, the platform models, kind of turns that on its head. It's a very, very high frequency interaction, quite often low value. Um, but equally, the, the, the banking sector has traditionally also served the point of importance from a money or a transactional perspective. I think what's exciting from from a banking perspective is Platforms enable us to, to broaden the value chain and, and deliver more of the end-to-end -end experience for the client or the customer. Broadening the value chain is interesting. Once you become a platform, you can really start to go into those end-to-end -end journeys. If we think about Uber being the platform, then you remember with, uh, when you had to get a car somewhere, you had to find the number for the taxi. Then you had to call the number for the taxi. Then the person had to tell you how far away the taxi was. Then if you were lucky, the taxi found you, and then you got in the car, and then you had to go to an ATM so you could give them cash that end-to-end -end journey gets taken out because the platform puts all of that together. But that, the platforms tend to be these really big companies. So can platforms be smaller? Yeah, I, in my experience, there's no particular reason uh, why a platform couldn't be small. It, it's all about kind of like, well, what's the purpose of it? Like, what's the kind of like value it provides? So if you think of something like Airbnb, which obviously it doesn't really work, hmm. like un unless it's really available everywhere. But if you think of a platform where I can book a home cleaner, then actually I can be in my small town of 50,000 people. I really don't care about like any big platforms out there. I only care about those 100 cleaners that are, let's say, running their own cooperative that has, a, and I, I just make the bookings through the platform and it works just fine. That works fine, but will it ever have the same level of data as one of the big winner-take-all platforms? Because surely data has been what's been fueling the economy, as we've said in, in previous sections. The AI, the algorithms, the insight about the consumer is what makes a difference. So surely a platform must be big to succeed. 
I think it really depends on the use case and the community it's serving. So, you know, to to um, to the example we just, that's just been used, if if it's a community platform about sharing secondhand stuff, then that's that's not needed. But if it if it is, um, then but scale obviously becomes very important and a massive influencer if it is a data driven platform. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key. It's the question is then, how do you monetize those users? Are you monetizing them through the data or are you taking a fee? So if I'm booking a cleaner, maybe I'm taking a fee for booking that cleaner and I don't need to monetize the data quite as hard. Um, but if you are monetizing the data, do we have some ethical conversation we need to consider? Banking has always been uh, a business that protects the stuff that matters most to you. If it's your um, goods, if it's your property, if it's something you want to leave for your children, banking protects that. Um, can you both be able to protect somebody, GDPR compliant, and able to do what Uber does, which is give you real-time pricing based on what you're willing to pay and tries to charge you the maximum amount? Um, well, the short version of that example is probably no, <laughs> and, and, and rightly so. I, I, I think... the. Can we use data to serve the customers or clients better? Yes, undoubtedly. And the learnings we can get from the massive volumes of data we have um, increasingly take a bigger influence over the products we design, the services we offer, and and the strategy and direction that we take. Um, Ethically, is clearly a very gray area, particularly when you're dealing with data and AI. Because quite often, if you're using machine learning as a perfect example, how can you explain the decisions? And therefore, how do you know that the decisions that are being made for lending aren't discriminatory because you, you can't always see the working? There's something interesting about that transparency and that plain speaking um, in how you communicate with your customer about how your platform works that even the big platforms haven't necessarily done that um, historically banking hasn't done. It has this jargon around APRs and percentages and it's confusing and maybe there is something in the plain speaking but I want to talk to you about um, you you look at BBVA as, as somebody who provides tools to smaller marketplaces to smaller platforms. What can an organization like BBVA give those people in the smaller platforms or the creators of those platforms? How could they be a good partner to those platforms? Yeah, uh, obviously, if, if you think about uh, lots, lots, many people here today have mentioned like trust as, as one, one key example. And obviously, if you think of a bank, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like, even if people are thinking about this kind of like a losing the middleman, I still think we will need some kind of like a middleman, yeah. like in various ways. And I think that that's where banks can provide tremendous value if they think of themselves as the trusted intermediary that kind of like just doesn't, doesn't try to extract like too much value out of that, but basically just like helps to reduce the transaction costs and like basically people get more value out of the transaction. I noticed on your website you have Stripe integration, you have PayPal. Um, what sort of things can an open marketplace like the one BBVA offers add over and above just transactional things? You know, BBVA has what, 70 plus million customers globally. They have a network of fintechs. Uh, is there some matchmaking piece there as well as part of the open platform that would be valuable to those smaller, smaller organizations? Yeah, uh, at least like obviously like beyond like ju- just like processing credit card payments is not just like enough. Like if you don't know like who are actually the people who are making those payments, who are the people who are receiving those payments uh, and, and all that. So that that's not enough. Like we get marketplaces deal a lot with fraud. Like they still haven't like fully solved the problem. Like if we can really solve those problems by keep figuring out like the identity of those people 
uh, if you can like offer services in that area, like I think that that can be something really powerful. I think that identity piece is interesting. How do you reflect on that? Well, I think we're we're, we're at a turning point. Um, you know, having just gone into production in the US with um, Open Platform, we focused on surfacing through Open Platform some core banking capability that companies can use to create great products and experiences for, for customers or users in, in the client context as well. Um, but we can do much more than that as we evolve. So at the moment, we're focused on things like identity, like account opening, um, and, and, and therefore deposits, payments. Um, you know, we can progress into lending in other, in other traditional areas. But equally, there are other things we can do with third parties to build a much more holistic offer. Um, and I think over time what we'll be seeing is who can complement those services we're providing um, so that a business that's consuming those to, to generate value can... Can, can you give me an example of what that marketplace would look like? Because with Amazon, it's obvious what the marketplace looks like. It's uh, here are a whole bunch of people buying things. If you're a small business, you can use our platform to sell. What's the equivalent to that for BBVA? Is well, our, our primary focus would be B to B to X. Yeah. So, I, I suppose it's powering the platforms others are creating. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the platform as we would do, it, we, we would say is almost more of a technical stack and capability. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes more of a platform when you bring third-party services into that as well. I In see. other words, you're connecting suppliers and consumers, but it's, it's, arguably it's not a platform per se because it's B2B2X. Yeah, so it's that more of that bank it's as a neighbor. service piece. It is, yeah. That's different in terms of, that doesn't mean we're not looking at platforms, we're just looking at them in, in a more traditional sense. Well, I guess you've had to consider who the ultimate end customer is and consider what their needs and purposes are. Can we talk a bit of, uh, about um, online versus offline, Hugo? Because uh, everything it seems to be driven Eric was saying, you've got to be DIY, you've got to be servicing it yourself, uh, you've got to be um, in that position where everybody can do everything themselves. But a lot of the value from, say, Airbnb comes from the offline experience. So can platforms help with that? Can marketplaces help with that? Or is it always going to be a case that you need to be driving people online? It has to be mobile. Yeah, uh, I definitely think that you, in my opinion, like you don't even necessarily have to be like technology and online platform to be a platform. Like, I mean, like we have, like in some senses, like cities are platforms, and obviously we have the marketplaces in the cities, like which are in uh, plat platforms in that way. Uh, but I do think that if you are building an online platform that also has the offline component, like Airbnb, like Uber. You really need, when you do the service design, you really need to design the entire experience. And Airbnb, for instance, has invested a lot in that. So they have really defined guidelines what exactly happens when the host and guest meets and at, at each point. And they have those touch points. They have the customer, local customer service constantly available. So you really need to design for that. Uh, Great design seems to go across the spectrum. It's not just what people do interacting with the app. It's not on the mobile. It's the experience. But as a platform, that's hard to control when you're dealing with a host. So it's about giving them tools and toolkits. Um, Sorry, just on that point, I think there are, there are two things that I think are really important. The first is it, the build out of a platform and where you focus your energies first. The, the user experience for the seller or the producer has to be as good, if not better, than, than the consumer. Because if you're trying to own the interaction, it's a lot easier to target and light up 
um, the merchant end, the, the, the producer end of, of the supply and demand than it is the consumer. Because otherwise you're left with that chicken and egg situation. So what is the use case and, and the, or the killer use case really that merchants will come to you for because that's what you can then leverage to light up the other end. But there's still an ethical component there. I, it concerns me. I, I don't know if it concerns anybody else, but the ability Uber has to pay their drivers the minimum possible amount where they'll still take the work, um, that we've got to make sure that when we're doing so, we're doing so in a fair way. Um, and the gig economy strikes me as an area where there's a whole bunch of opportunity to provide those services better. It feels like it's been a case of how can I reduce the cost of labor and distribute the risk of labor rather than how can I add value to those people and, and create things in their lives. So can smaller platforms provide some of that and can that um, be differentiated in the minds of consumers the way that um, Blah Blah Car and Lyft are different to Uber as a brand? Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that there's an opportunity like, like first of all, like if you think of these uh, big, big platforms of today, they are also extracting quite a big a commission, like quite a big percentage of the total value created is going to these platforms. And like, for instance, the folks at uh, Brad Burnham, who is the partner at Union Square Ventures, has been talking a lot that the next generation of platforms, he calls them skinny platforms. Yeah. And basically just saying that focusing a lot on like extracting less and basically providing the same amount of value by extracting less, which obviously is a really good value proposition for the users of the platforms, because this is, this is not like Facebook where you just like write, write posts. This is your actual livelihood is, is depending on that. And I, I think that there's like if Jeff Bezos would say like your margin is my opportunity, yeah. I think there's lots of margin to, to take on. Well, yeah, the, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world aren't struggling for margin, but they have massive scale. And can something that's lots of small, lots of small schools of fish, as Lisa often says, uh, shout out Lisa, um, can that really ever compete with the giant whale? Can it really compete? Because they've got all of the data. They've got all of the insight. They're everywhere on your devices. Can a smaller com platform community really compete? And where can a bank play a role as a platform? helping those smaller platforms start to compete and those marketplaces compete? Can, can they compete? Yes, without question. I think, you know, you're seeing unbundling happen as, as a means almost of competitive advantage. For something. You're seeing the opposite in, in areas as well. But it, for me, the, the simple sort of common denominator there is clarity of use case. So what is it you're providing from an end-to-end -end experience perspective um, to make it as seamless and intuitive as possible? Data can help that, but it, it, it's not it's not the silver bullet. You know, a lot of it is just pure design-led thinking and, and focus that creates that end-to-end. -end. And if it becomes easier and, and um, to use, then you, you're going to grow and grow fast. I think the other thing, that, but, but speaking more simply from a bank point of view, one of the things we haven't started to do yet, but I think you'll see more of, is, as you mentioned, we have 76, 77 million customers. Um, you know, a big push for any startup is scale. Um, and, and how we can make those connections as we look to service more of the journey our customers and clients are on to fulfill um, their needs and, and their ambition, we can, we can introduce those smaller specialists um, to fulfill those experiences in the right way. I think there's something interesting about being genuinely transparently on the side of your user, your customer, your marketplace, and also putting them in control.
Uh, and how do you give them the tools to really truly be in control of your data? And banks are in an interesting place as a place that can legally identify you to help you take control of your data in, in a different way. Uh, when you look to, uh, to the banks and you look to everything BBVA is doing, what do you think are the opportunities that if you could say, hey, Derek, I've got one wish, you know, what would you say that BBVA should be focusing on? And, and you know, is data governance and data management one of those areas or is there another area? Yeah, I, I definitely think that if like banks can somehow say that, hey, look, like I mean, like we give you like access to this data, but fundamentally it's your data. Like it's not the data that we own, but it's like really you, yours. You can take it away. Yeah, you, you can do whatever you want with it. We just provide you services that make you help you get most out of that data. I think that's a huge value proposition that everybody today would appreciate. But if it's still my data, can you send? Can my algorithms be of value, or do I have to capture your data for my algorithms to be of value? Is there a is there a value exchange there? Is there a trade-off between yeah. my ability to be useful to you, to be uh, able to target what you need yeah. and having your data? Yeah. Or can I still put you in control and still see that data if you let me? What, where's that trade-off going to come? Yeah. Do you think? I, I think that if you are just transparent about it, like this is the value we provide, we use these algorithms, but we actually tell you what they do. Like we are not trying to hide what the algorithms are doing from you. We are like quite transparent about it. And, and then it's, you give people the choice. Like, do you want to take part in that? I think actually lots of people will want to give you that data. Like if they if you're just transparent about it, because now they know that they get paid services. Ian, do you think this trend of decentralization, smaller platforms, smaller marketplaces, is A, going to continue, and B, how does it affect the business of banking, the business of helping people be in control of their money and what's valuable to them? Is it, is it really coming? Um, I, I would argue whether it's a trend, if I'm honest, and it, or, or, or how new it is. I think, I think businesses um, have have focused on specializing in a niche space or gone broad since they were born, whether they're you know, human to human or, or digital. I think it's just a natural focus from a strategic perspective as to where you go. I think actually the, the, the pendulum is swinging more towards the bundled broader ecosystem play, particularly at the platform level. So, so how does BBVA compete with billions of customers when you've got shy of 100 million? It's for a bank, it's massive, but these winner-take-all platforms are you know, 10 times bigger at least. You know, what, is it going to be a case of um, looking smaller, or is it going to be... So we saw that uh, Alexa are partnering with Facebook, for instance. Are we going to see that actually you become frenemies, you become friends and enemies with some of those platforms? Right. And, and I think that's what you're, you're seeing. China is, a, for me, a fascinating model in that... Um, not only do they quite often and certainly talk a lot about competing to the death with, with whatever sort of specific app or focus they have, they also collaborate like mad with everything. So, you know, you, you find everything is connected. From a, from a banking point of view and certainly with Open Platform, um, there is a real opportunity for us to provide the capability for others on their platforms in the financial services space. Now, the danger with that is... Do we become a dumb pipe, a clever dumb pipe, but are we sat behind the scenes with others owning the user and, and the customer experience? So at the same time, understandably, we're exploring ways to offer a much broader service beyond the financial interaction. So if you look at our mobile banking app in Spain, um, Mexico and, 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 and other countries, we, we're providing tools and, and, and things that can enable customers like Valor is an example I'd use, which is helping a customer in their home buying experience. So, so it's, not, it's not just 
them knocking on our door when a mortgage is, is required. It's understanding and helping them understand the area they're looking in, the schools that are there, the, the travel, the cost, the tax, the value of the property they're looking at at the time. Those are things that you can extend and build ecosystems around. Those end-to-end -end journeys and really ultimately comes down to who is the human, what are you trying to put them in control of and how do we use platforms and marketplaces to solve problems in their lives. Uh, Ian, you hope we're out of time, I can see on the clock. So ladies and gentlemen, please thank my esteemed guests. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Alrighty, gentlemen, thank you so much for that panel. And thank you, listener, for listening as always. Do remember to subscribe to our show. Do remember to tell your friends about the show if you like this content. Uh, and also check out 11FS. Um, we are a company that builds stuff. Um, we're going to be at Money 2020 live in Las Vegas. We're proud to announce we'll be hosting not one, but two live shows um, that you'll get to hear of um, after the event if you're a listener. But if you're there, we'll be hosting a live debate on the Leadership Loft stage on how and where to build a digital bank on the show Monday, followed by an all-star-studded new show on the Tuesday. And if that's not enough... We're going to be running a live stream of interviews from the Expo Hall. Tune into that on our YouTube page and come see us at Stand 2005. We're going back in time and going to the future all at the same time. And of course, uh, if you missed it, 11FS was the news a couple of weeks ago. We announced our core banking platform, our modular architecture, 11FS Foundry. If you want to know more, go to 11FS.com and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Have a good week. Have a good week.